This episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast is proudly supported by our sponsors, Music Notes. You're listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so that you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast. Today I've got a very special guest, somebody who is training guitar players all around the world to make more money as well as offering some really cool courses through his Your Guitar School Online program with a bunch of different offerings there. And our guest today is none other than John Gilliatt. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Hey, Michael. It's great to be here and thanks for having me. This is uh, very cool. Now, John, you're someone who I've seen a lot of on Facebook just through, I guess you connected with me a couple of years back, maybe even pre-pandemic, I'm not 100% sure. And I've been a a member of your um, Facebook group for a while. So not an actual client of yours or a paying customer, someone who's uh, aware of your presence and inspired by some of the wonderful things you're doing for guitar players and, and, you know, beginning guitar players all around the world. So maybe give the listeners a brief overview of your story so far and how you've gone from just a standard guitar teacher to somebody who has a specific niche of, um, you know, solo acoustic musicians and, of course, training beginner guitar players through your online, uh, you know, ventures as well. Sure. Well, it's, it's a pretty long story, but I've got it pretty condensed, I think, now, uh, just because I've been, boy, doing this for 40 Oh my goodness, 47 years or something like that, you know, playing and where it's taken me to, to get to this point. But I basically began started playing at about 10 years old. And uh, like a lot of people, I just studied with uh, private teachers. I learned songs from back in those days, records and cassettes. I don't know if you ever had to deal with that. But yeah, when we were learning a song, you'd be picking up a needle on a record player, right? And trying to get it just in that right spot so you could figure out a tune. Eventually, you know, we learned how to slow down record players in order to uh, pick stuff up. And um, cassette tapes, when they came along, that was great because you could actually mark with a little counter, you know, where you had to go back to in order to learn a particular song but um yeah it was it was brutal but that's the way we did it in those days you know when we we're learning how to play songs and stuff on our own so it was uh fantastic in terms of ear training <laughs> yeah didn't get any better than that <laughs> i think people really take for granted how easy it is now and how many resources you have available to you for things like transcription and all the fact that you can just you know, download the music off of Google or, you know, Ultimate Guitar or something and have it there in 30 seconds without any, even having to pay for it is, you know, completely changes the game. I know it's unbelievable. And now stuff, I don't know if you're familiar with a software called uh, Guitar Pro, you probably are, but it's amazing. You can download uh, any song you want. You can loop any section. You can get it so it starts really slow and speeds up. Uh, I had one of my students, believe it or not, 
was never really big into sight reading, but he could read tabs on Guitar Pro like in real time, like it was nobody's business, like guitar solos from Richie Blackmore and all kinds of stuff. He was just a an absolute freak when it came to that, you know, and never really learned how to read standard notation at all. So it's it's quite phenomenal, you know, what these uh, these tools can do for us. I'm getting back to sort of what so where I came from and so on. So, uh, you know, I learned how to play a bunch of songs when I was in school and uh, we put together like a top 40 rock band in school. I hated singing. I was actually a pretty shy, introverted guy, even though my wife wouldn't think so these days. But but I really was. And still to some point, I guess I am. So I was always sort of the, the lead gu- lead guitar, rhythm guitar guy. So I played in a bunch of top 40 bands. I toured uh, Western Canada uh, and really got frustrated with not having a lot of success. So uh, I was fortunate enough to join a tribute act. We were doing a a bunch of Bowie tunes and the guy just looked like Bowie. And this is back in the uh, mid 80s, maybe early 80s when we did this. And that was exciting because I got to play all over Western or all over Canada and the United States. But that got to be really frustrating as well because I wanted something serious. You know, I wanted to be a famous rock and roll player back in those days. And it didn't matter what band I was doing or whatever I joined, you know, not being a front man singer kind of guy. I, you know, there was just nothing that was going to take me there. So a lot of these, uh, you know, top 40 touring bands and the tribute bands, you know, I, I just had to quit the whole thing. And I, um, I went to study at a commercial music college, you know, so I learned to study jazz because my idea was, okay, I'm going to become like a freelance guitar player. And that's what I did. I got out of college, uh, did some freelance work, did some studio work, uh, played in a bunch of local bands. But I guess what happened is, you know, I wanted to have a house and a family and all that kind of stuff. So I actually quit playing guitar for seven years and managed my dad's automotive business, you know, which got me, you know, the house and, and it got me the family and a couple of kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that kind of ran me into the ground because, you know, I wasn't passionate about it and having to fix people's cars was was it's just an awful thing, you know, because first of all, they walk in and they think you're the total awful worst guy in the world before they even meet you because uh, they figure you're going to screw them over on their automotive venture or whatever. But, you know, they got to get the car fixed. So eventually I had to quit that. And when I I guess um, before I quit doing that, I started learning to play um, flamenco because I kind of got excited about it and it got me playing guitar again. So it's funny. I would go into my dad's work at like five in the morning, practice learning how to play solo flamenco repertoire for about an hour and a half and then start, you know, start my day. And eventually um, I began playing, you know, restaurants as a soloist and did some busking and stuff like that. Um, I even actually uh, competed as a solo guitarist in a bunch of competitions, made my own solo flamenco guitar tape. Um, 
but eventually, yeah, I did have to quit my dad's business, but I wasn't going to make it playing flamenco guitar in restaurants. So that's where teaching really took off for me. I had to do something. I had taught a little bit before. So what I wound up doing was putting together a studio just in my home. And I got it to the point where I was teaching 65 to 70 one-on-one students, you know, each week. It was, it was just a crazy schedule. It took maybe Sunday off sometimes, but it was just constant. So that was great. It allowed me to, you know, keep my home and, and do my solo flamenco gigs. And I also started doing uh, some other work with, you know, some other bands, but at least it got me away from the automotive thing and got me back to playing. And I really enjoyed teaching because, um, you know, once the students kind of get it and things click, it gets to be super exciting and it's really rewarding. And we'll talk about, you know, the, the teaching concepts and stuff, I guess, later on. But um, what really changed for me and kind of got me more into being able to really make money doing what I was doing was um, I went to a, a Natalie Cole concert and the person that opened up for Natalie Cole was Otmart Lieber, you know, this guy with a flamenco guitar and he was doing this rumba flamenco thing. And I, you know, I just fell in love with this stuff um, uh, to the point where, you know, during the concert, I'm going, you know, that's it. This is what I should be doing. I don't have to sing. Right. I can play guitar. I love to improvise. That's what I like doing more than anything else when I'm playing guitar is, uh, you know, playing with other guys and improvising. Um, so, you know, that was, you know, that was it for me. Uh, what I wound up doing was I recorded a, a rumba flamenco album called freedom, which was sort of my escape of doing everything I did in the past. And this was going to be sort of my new venture. And, um, I put a band together, began playing festivals, you know, did a lot of touring. I was still teaching because that was sort of the, my main bread and butter, but I found that doing this rumba flamenco thing and selling CDs back in those days, you know, we made a lot of money through CD sales and it, it, we became, or I did anyways, became quite successful at uh, sort of the rumba flamenco thing and uh, having my own music. So that was, that was really good. The only thing that was really tough was I still really couldn't play a lot of solo work. You know, the, the solo stuff I was doing was, um, you know, some flamenco gigs and some solo gigs, but they never paid all that much. You know, it was like a risk, a restaurant or a small private event or something like that. Um, so it was really, really frustrating. So what I actually began doing was I began um, learning how to play with loops, right? I bought an RC 50 from Roland and uh, the loops was really cool because now I could just, you know, throw down a rhythm or whatever. I could improvise on top of it. I can now play all my songs that it took a band or at least a guitar duo to perform live. I could now do that solo. And, you know, people would get really excited about it. Whereas they just, I hate to say it, but they just weren't, unless you're Paco de Lucia or Vicente Amigo, um, most people don't even look at you or could care less, you know, playing flamenco or classical. But when you're looping, it just sounded so much fuller and you had that rumba rhythm behind you and everything, you know, just from the rhythm guitar in the loop that it became quite exciting. And it gave me a way in order to play and tour um, by using, you know, loops. Um, 
and also I won a bunch of competitions and stuff like Roland uh, took me to the Montreal Jazz Festival where they had a national competition and I won that back in like 2008 or something like that. So it gave me a little bit of notoriety. People were getting to know who I was as well. And also, you know, I was doing quite well with, um, you know, CD sales and building a following and everything like that. So that was all really good. But one thing that happened along the way is I auditioned a guitar player in order to play in my band because I, I need another guy. I was usually going through guitar players every couple of years. And um, this fellow uh, was great. And after um, sort of auditioning him with all the music that I had, I asked him if he was interested in playing in my group. And he said, no, I'm not interested in playing in your group at all. Uh, what I would like for you to do is play a couple of the songs that, that we play. Cause he had a guitar that was or a guitar player that was leaving his group. And this was a gypsy jazz group called Gypsolero back in the time. And I thought, yeah, sure. What the heck, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. And, and I was a pretty decent reader at that time. And I was able to, to play through the material. And that's how I learned about uh, guys like Django Reinhardt and a whole bunch of other really cool people. And I got to, I wound up joining this band and I got to play um, uh, tons of really, really cool events because he was like one of the top corporate studio guys in town. And by corporate, I mean, he was not just playing restaurants and stuff, you know, they were doing all this corporate work, weddings, big private events and stuff that paid a lot of money. So this is what got me into, you know, how to actually make money because didn't matter what I was doing with the rock bands and not being a, a frontman singer, I could never get in something that was going to take me someplace. And this was kind of it, you know, this whole corporate scene, there was so much money in and we were getting paid really well. And, um, it just, it worked out really, really great. So yeah, I kind of learned the, the corporate business or how to make money as a, not only a, a soloist, but I could, you know, take my band and actually, you know, make decent money as CD sales and streaming was kind of tanking, you know, as things were progressing. I mean, there was a time, you know, where we do $30,000 in CDs in a single month, whereas, now I can't even give them away. You know, they're like coasters for <laughs> yeah. coffee. <laughs> wow. And like $30,000 worth ridiculous. of CDs in like the the nineties or early two thousands is a serious amount of CDs. Was that, were you on a label? Or yeah, just, I know. We used to sell a ton of them. Yeah, it was good. So anyways, that, that was great. I learned how to, you know, make money doing that. And the other thing I did too is with my own group, uh, I started doing some pretty cool tours. I used to tour in Japan a lot. But when I do a lot of these tours, if I had it to deal with looping, especially on a, on a festival stage where you got a sub underneath the stage and that's pounding away when you're building all these loops and that would wind up feeding back into the loops as you're playing, it became a bit of a nightmare. So when I started touring in Japan, I said, I'm going to make it appear as though I'm looping, but I had a little MP3 player on my mic stand and that was it. I just hit play. And I had a, an earpiece with a click, you know, so one side of the MP3 was a click. The other side was the, the looped guitar part, you know, so it'd be as though I was creating the loop. No one knew any difference because the average audience doesn't see you jumping up. You know, they don't know whether you're jumping over a bunch of pedals or what you're doing. Most of the time they think you're just playing all that stuff as a soloist and they can't believe that you're making the sound that you're making out of a guitar. 
anyways, so I discovered that I didn't have to loop anything. I could use tracks. And I know a lot of musicians uh, maybe don't like the idea of doing tracks, but a lot of them loop. Um, and it's in a way it's, I don't know, it just wasn't much of a difference. And bottom line is, you know, I love engaging with the audience. I love playing the guitar. I don't want to have to deal with the technology when I'm actually playing. I just want to play and get what's in me out and get back from the audience what they're experiencing. So it's great. Technology's gone. And when I'm not, I still play as a trio quartet, you know, with dancers and all kinds of stuff. But I don't have to, as a soloist, I know I can pull something off that people get excited about. And if a client doesn't have the budget for the full band, I can still make a lot of money with just um, using tracks. So that's kind of where I, where I got with all of that. With the websites and stuff, back when I was teaching a lot of students sort of ongoing, I created a website. So it was a bit of a... Um, I help for them. They can log on. They could learn a lot of the material or help with the material that we were already doing and just made it easier for them. Eventually, I turned that into a subscription site. And this was a long time ago. This is probably about 10 years ago before everybody got into funnels and everything else that they're into now. Um, so I sold it as a subscription site. I was doing quite well with, with that. But the problem was I was getting too busy with too many things and I never took care of the site. Uh, and with WordPress sites, which is what it was at the time, if you don't maintain it, it'll get hacked. And that's kind of what happened years ago. So when COVID hit, everything tanked, as, as you know. Um, didn't do uh, private lessons in the studio anymore. Um, it was just sort of one-on-one -on -one online. And for two years, my, my site was hacked, so I wasn't using that at all. And the only gigs I was doing was some virtual corporate performances, and there weren't a lot of them, but they were a lot of fun. I'd have to tell you about those one day. They were pretty cool. As a matter of fact, I'll just yeah, a little insight into virtual those gigs. Online corporate gigs. We definitely got to hear about this. <laughs> yeah, you've never done a, a corporate gig on you know, online, no, <laughs> we used to do them like for the nurses union, all kinds of big companies. And it was a riot. I did this one for, it was a really big company. There were hundreds of people in attendance. It was through zoom. The company created all these separate zoom rooms. Uh, there were a whole bunch of performers and actors. So companies would go from, or the, the clients in their pajamas or whatever, because that's just the way it was in COVID, would attend the event. There's one main room where you have all these people tiled on a screen and uh, they would go from there and then we'd all go into our separate rooms. So there are tech guys that looked after these Zoom rooms. So in my Zoom room where I was playing, I was playing with uh, another artist. It was a duo and I was just playing solo with my tracks. Had, I think it was during Christmas. So I had like a Christmas backdrop or whatever, you know, blue screen behind me and all that kind of techie stuff. And it was awesome because I would turn my, I would play for 15 minutes and then I would take a break, go downstairs, watch TV with my wife for 15 minutes before I'd come back and, you know, the next group would take over. Then I go back upstairs, do another 15 minutes. And again, you know, take my break, go downstairs and whatever. And that was kind of, that was the gig. 15 minutes on camera, 15 minutes with my wife watching TV. 
<laughs> so it was it was kind of a cool thing. And they paid us lots. But unfortunately, yeah, there wasn't a lot of those performances. So eh, what do you what do you do? So COVID was was tough. So during COVID, what I did is one of my students asked if I would you know rebuild the site. And they also asked me if I would build a site uh, because they had a student. Uh, a girl or a boy that just wanted to learn how to play guitar for the first time. So for fun, and it was a lot of work and I thought it would take off is I created a course on how to play guitar without a guitar. You probably saw that on the site. Yeah, or if you hadn't, to sort it, it's kind yeah. of my, yeah, it's kind of the first ones that, uh, that I created and the concept's really cool. And I think it's, it, it has a lot of value to it and it literally is learning how to play guitar without a, guitar. Um, I remember creating the course and I, I gave it to my dad to, um, to see if it worked and see if it would fly. And, and yeah, he did well with it. He went through this program without a guitar and then I gave him a guitar and I told him, okay, see if you can see if you can do something with this, with what you now know. And, uh, yeah, it actually worked. It, you know, once you spend a little bit of time, you know, physically getting around the instrument, uh, which didn't take all that long yet, he was doing it. So, it it was it was a cool concept, but the problem is the market is so oversaturated with everybody teaches guitar, YouTube, Facebook, it's all over the place. So it wasn't like you know, 15 years ago when I had my site and the, the subscriptions were really coming in, it was doing really well, you know, before it got hacked. Um, it was really difficult to make something like that fly. So I guess uh, towards the end of COVID, I discovered, or I thought, you know, what I do can be done very easily, like what I do and what I make a lot of money doing as a guitar player. Um, others can do, you know, I wouldn't say quite easily right away, but over a, a fairly short period of time, and depending on their ability, you know, they could they can pull this off and they can actually make really decent money. And there's a, a way to do it. And they don't have to jump through years and years of, you know, going one direction, the other direction to finally narrow things down where you could actually play guitar for a living and enjoy yourself. And you don't have to be a singer and you don't have to be like a virtuoso in order to, to do it, because I really still don't consider myself to be you know, uh, a virtuoso Vicente Amigo, the guys, you know, I was striving to be back in the day. Um, I just do what I do and I enjoy it. And, um, and even if you're not to my ability, you could do it as well. So that's, that's a big part of my teaching. And that's what I get excited about now, you know, when I'm teaching guys to play guitar. So that's kind of my story. And I know since like post COVID, hopefully post COVID where we're at, where we're at now, man, I have been unbelievably busy and can't keep up with, uh, you know, the, the live performance work. So, you know, if you want to get out there and do private events, corporate events and make decent money that, you know, now's the time to do it because it's people are exploding. They're exploding for live entertainment again more so than they ever did before. It's not like you're stuffed in a corner and they ignore you. People actually appreciate it again, you know, so it's great. Anyways, that's kind of my, my, my story. Yeah, <laughs> Hopefully I didn't drag it on too long. <laughs> no, not at all. No, we could listen to this kind of stuff all day, but uh, such a fantastic story and an evolution 
so to speak of you know starting out very very early on as so many guitar players do going hey i want to be a professional player i want to earn a living from this or i want to have ambitions of being the next world's best of whatever it is and then you know going through that college or that um tertiary education kind of path and then finding a way through the world having that uh okay now i've got to quit my music and go get a real job kind of conundrum and then coming back to it which i think is a fantastic thing and you know a lot of people could really take away from the fact that uh, you can come back to it. It's not something you have to give up and sacrifice you know, your music career for your family. There are definitely ways to do both. And hopefully a lot of people can learn from this story and, and learn that, hey, there is a way you can make a living from music and not just a living, but actually really, really good money. And that's you know, kind of what I do through my six-figure program. And what we try and help with top music is getting people to realize that, hey, music's not just, uh, you, you're not either a, a broke musician or someone with a day job that makes money. There are ways to financially do it. So what's maybe, you know, two or three suggestions or tips you'd have for solo musicians or, or gigging musicians who aren't making enough money that need to change something about what they're doing to end up making it more, you know, uh, catering to their lifestyle or at least uh, able to earn a living through their music? Right. Well, I think first and foremost, and I see it so often is, is actually charging you know, what you're worth, you know, if you can play something that, you know, people will enjoy and they get excited about, then you've got to, you know, charge a decent fee for it. You just have to. My wife for years and years and years, I know she, she used to always bug me, you know, why are you doing that performance for, you know, a hundred bucks or why are you playing this for whatever? And she used to always get into me about this sort of stuff. You know, you got to charge good money. Um, and it, and it's really hard because, you, you know, you don't feel like you're worth any more because that's what everyone else is getting. A hundred bucks for this, 50 bucks for that. You know, I remember doing restaurants for, you know, $35 and a meal. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's not good. Um, so number one is you have to, you have to up your game as long as, you know, you feel that your, your music is, Good. And it doesn't have to be spectacular. It's just got to be to the point where people enjoy it and they give you nice feedback and it fits with whatever the event is. Um, you got to charge a decent fee, you know? So that's number one is just knowing what to charge and to be able to do that. Um, the other second, uh, the second thing that's, I think is super important is you do have to sound really well, uh, really good. The equipment does have to be <laughs> it should really be top notch and it's worth investing uh, the money to make it sound decent and decent doesn't mean you have to have the most expensive gear. It just means you have to go about it the right way. You know, if you're a nylon string guitar player, having uh, reverb and setting it up, right. Using compression. I remember back in the day I've done corporate events where I didn't have a PA system at the time. I couldn't afford it. I had a, home stereo amplifier. I had two speakers that I, that I took out of regular stereo boxes and put them into a box that looked like a PA speaker that I built. And, and I remember using this home stereo as my PA for a corporate event in a foyer of a really fancy Whistler hotel. And I got away with it, but it wasn't the best, but still, you know, you, you do what you have to with what you have. And then eventually, you know, as more money came in, I, you know, 
you know, now I'm using QSCs and all kinds of crazy stuff because, because it works, but um, you don't necessarily have to have the very best, but you got to make sure that you make it sound really good. And that's just knowing how to use EQ reverb, all those little toys and stuff that are available to us that can make us sound like a million dollars or make us, if we don't use it right, you know, make us sound like, uh, you know, the guy out on the street who's maybe not so good. <laughs> I hope that kind of makes sense. Now I'm just going to pause the interview for a second, guys, for a quick message from our wonderful sponsors at Music Notes. So teachers and students everywhere deserve a sheet music experience that impresses, and that's precisely what you get from musicnotes.com, the largest online retailer of quality sheet music. Now it's all about the attention to detail with Music Notes because they're run by musicians for musicians. So Music Note hold every piece in their catalogs to the highest standard for the best experience, whether it's in the practice room, right up to the performance. Now, Music Notes has the perfect arrangement for every musician and every purchase is available right away. There's no shipping, they never run out of print, and the transcriptions are always available in the right key. So simply print from the Music Notes website or use the free Music Notes app to view your sheet music anywhere, anytime. And as an exclusive to our listeners, Music Notes are offering 25% off e-gift cards for a limited time only. So visit musicnotes.com slash topmusic to claim this very special exclusive offer and there's no code required. Yeah, 100%. And I know you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are really afraid to charge what they're worth or they, uh, when they're starting out, they compare themselves to everyone else and sometimes feel guilty about charging more money. So uh, maybe a two-part question. What do you think of people who have the mentality of you need to pay your dues and, you know, do this really hard 10-year slog to earn charging more? Uh, as well as what do you say to people who feel bad about charging more money or or don't actually, you know, they're not really financially savvy and think money's the you know root of all evil what are your sort of uh thoughts on those two kind of mentalities there yeah well you know you do have to pay your your dues and even with my program if you've never played for anyone before as a soloist you do have to build your repertoire you know to a point where you can do a three-hour performance or a two-hour event or or those things um so Yes, you are. If if you've never worked or played guitar for a living, you are going to have to do that. And you also have to get over your fear. There's a lot of guys. I was the same way. I was terrified to play as a soloist for anyone. When I played in a band, you know, I could play in front of hundreds of people in a nightclub or a festival. And it wasn't so bad because I had the band to lean on. But as soon as I, I remember starting to play solo flamenco and building my repertoire, I remember inviting my friend over to sit at the other end of a table and I was going to play songs for him so I could get over the, this fear of doing the solo stuff. And um, yeah, that felt a lot like paying my dues. I, then this fellow that came over, he had a restaurant. So I was able to play in the restaurant for like an hour because that's all the material that I had at the time. So you do go through that where you learn to get over your fears. You have to play in front of people. I would busk as a soloist because busking, there is no pressure. You're just there. People are walking by. Uh, I remember just going into music stores, picking up a, a nylon string guitar and practicing my solo repertoire uh, there. So yeah, it is kind of like, performing for free, but it's at a music store. So everyone's okay with it. And they actually used to love it. I would come in I play all this material and sitting in the corner and, 
you know, it, it worked well for the store and I would get students out of it. And um, I, I had, as I was getting better and I felt like, okay, I could do this. I've got enough where I could charge something and play for someone. I remember there was a coffee shop I would go to every day and I would just ask him, can I come in here? I'll, I'll buy, a, you know, buy coffee, but I just want to sit and practice my repertoire because I'm learning to play for people or whatever. So I would go to the coffee shop almost every day. And, uh, you know, when I wasn't teaching to get used to playing as a soloist. Um, and eventually, yes, I did start looping and all of that, which made it uh, more exciting for people and more accessible. And then I got to the point where I felt like I can charge money and do that sort of work. You know, at the same time, I was still doing all this corporate work and whatnot, you know, with Jip uh, Solero, but I never felt confident enough as a soloist. It took a long time for me to get to that point and figure out the right way to do it. So as a soloist, I will always play, well, I almost almost all the time I'll play with a track, whether it's a single guitar or, you know, guitar and percussion or something like that. I am to the point now where it doesn't matter if I have to play as a soloist without tracks or with tracks. Eh, I, I could care less because I've just gotten to that point. But starting out, yeah, you're going to have to pay some dues as as I did to build your repertoire. But the repertoire doesn't have to be extremely difficult to get you there and you can expedite the whole thing by not having to feel like you are a karaoke artist by using tracks you know for me to go from looping which was exact uh, it was okay in musicians eyes or acceptable in musicians eyes to being a guy that would do the same thing with just an mp3 player there wasn't a whole lot of difference. And I toured all over Japan, did big festivals, stages, uh, even uh, radio appearances and stuff on, you know, the national, I can't remember what the national station is there, but all kinds of stuff like that. Um, it was totally accept, uh, acceptable and it was totally cool. I don't know why I'm having a hard time with that word. <laughs> why but, do you think yeah, musicians get so upset about things like that in terms of, oh, it's not the proper way you're playing with the backing track and things like why do you think people get so angsty or, or see that there's some sort of, uh, you know, something wrong with doing so? Well, back in the day when we had, what is it, Millie Vanilla or Vanilli or the Monkees, you know, when they went on stage and they played to a track, I think they were just faking it altogether. I don't even think they were playing. But it really was super frowned upon where I think it destroyed their careers to a, a certain extent. Also, you know, it to me, you know, it is karaoke. You throw on something and, you, and you're singing against it. The only thing different is I'm just playing guitar against it. Yeah. So it, I even, you know, to this day, sometimes when I'm doing it, I go, oh, this is kind of cheesy, but you know what? They're paying me 700 bucks to do it. And I'm just here for two hours and I'm having a lot of fun playing guitar. Nobody seems to care whether there's a track or not. So eh, I guess it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the people who aren't making the money are the ones who are upset about it rather than the people who are actually enjoying the show and not getting too frustrated about uh, how the music is made rather than just, they're just enjoying it. Yeah. I think it's the musicians that go, well, that's not real or that's, that's karaoke. But bottom line is you're, the bottom line is you're playing guitar, you're loving what you do 
you are definitely entertaining an audience. And whether one or two are saying, oh, well, that's just whatever. I don't think it really matters because, you know, you're doing something good. It feels good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally cool with it. And it's, it's okay. No, yeah, most definitely. You just, as long as you're having fun. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I remember going to a lot of workshops, you know, where I would be seeing world. I can't remember some of the guitar players that I went and saw, but you know, they're like the Steve Vaisantriani type players and they go in there demonstrating a bunch of stuff and they're playing to a track. So it must be, it must be totally acceptable if they're doing it at a workshop. It must be totally cool. And also, I talked to a lot of techs engineers. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm playing a jazz festival in a, a couple of days. Uh, jazz festival. This is totally wrong because I'm going to use a track for it. <laughs> the reason being, I'm playing with a percussion player. I'm playing with a bass player, uh, my second guitarist, and myself. But I want to... They didn't want to pay for an extra player because usually I'd like to have a drummer as well. So I have kick, you know, a shaker and hat. I just like to have that extra stuff there now. So that's in a track and talking to a lot of the sound techs at work festivals and stuff. They have bands that go in there with tons of tracks, like 16 channels worth of tracks that they've got to mix along with, you know, a large band on stage. You know, this is nothing new. It's just no one's talking about it. So it's totally acceptable. And whether you like it or not, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those big industry dirty secrets that if you only knew <laughs> to what degree it was going on. But yeah, at the end of the day, as you said, if you're having fun and you're uh, making a living or get, you're getting paid to have fun, then you know more power to you. Don't uh, care what anyone else thinks or let uh, the thoughts of the few hold you back from the many having a great time. But on the flip side of that, so we talked about some tips for musicians. What are some mistakes that you see uh, solo artists or gigging musicians make that they can potentially avoid? Yeah, um, I know there's a lot of, there are things that when I see someone perform, I go, oh. uh, you know, one big thing, and I, I talked to one of my students about this too, is just using a set list so you know what songs are coming up next, you know, so you're organized for the performance. Um, I, I do so many different performances, you know, I'll do like an Italian wedding or I'll do a, a, a salsa thing or um, a Caribbean thing, you know, where I'm playing with a, a drummer that plays steel drum or whatever. But regardless of the event, I won't say all the time, but I always have a set list. I have a program that we're going to follow through so we don't have to stop in the song and go, oh, OK, what am I going to do next or flip through a bunch of you know, sheets or whatever, you know, have a, a set list. Cause I do see a lot of performers in restaurants and even on corporate events where, you know, they stop and they're just talking between themselves. And, um, you know, it's, it's gotta be a performance. Like you're playing a music festival, even if it's a background, whatever. I think you have to keep people engaged. So I think that's, you know, that is definitely an important thing. Um, the other thing, <laughs> players that rehearse in between songs, you know, guys that do that, just noodle. As a soloist, 
it's kind of cool if it works within coming out of one song into the next song. And I, I enjoy kind of setting up the song with something that I'm kind of going to do solo before I go into the song. Um, that's all cool. Or if you're playing to an audience where you're okay to engage with the audience, where it's not just background music, you know, having something in advance that you're going to talk about. So um, I think those things are important. It makes you look like a professional. So make sure uh, you have a set list um, and uh, yeah, be professional and don't have a conversation uh, between songs that isn't engaging the audience. And, uh, yeah. Excellent advice there. Now that covers, you know, a lot of your playing and gigging and in terms of where musicians or anyone listening would want to follow up on this kind of thing. Cause I'd love to ask you a few more questions specifically about teaching. So bringing this one in for landing, where can our listeners uh, up until this point who are interested in doing more gigs on making a bit more money from playing as a solo artist or with their band, where can they find out a bit more about that from you? Right. Well, I have, what I've created is a website called yourguitarschool.com. I've just been finished creating well, not quite finished yet, but it's in the process of being finished, a course on how to make money playing guitar. And now it's as a soloist and, and you don't have to be a vocalist and you don't have to be a virtuoso to pull it off. A lot of the what this program does, and I've made it very inexpensive, too, because I just want to get people involved. And once it's completely finished, then I'll probably bump the price up and stuff. But right now, it's just a, a small subscription fee and you can get involved. So what I do is I give you a repertoire of music that starts out uh, being very easy to play. A lot of music is super simple pop songs that I play, uh, you know, the rumba flamenco material, some jazz stuff that I play. The melodies are really easy. And if you learn to play them with a track, which is acceptable now that because we've had this discussion, uh, especially if you want to play, you know, a private event, a corporate event, a restaurant, whatever the case may be. Um, I give you in this program, all the tracks, all the charts, even charts that if you want to have a band play along with you, um, how to play the song, how to improvise the song. It, it goes pretty deep because uh, I spent a lot of time on this, you know, how to get gigs as someone that's never played before, how to get gigs as someone that's played in bands, but never ventured out as a soloist or as a solo instrumentalist. There's a lot of material in there. So that's kind of what I'm offering and, you know, getting into how simple it can be. I played a wedding, which paid you know a lot of money uh, last Friday. We did it as a trio, but I could have played it as a soloist as well. And I remember the bride wanted for the first song, she wanted us to do a Hootie and the Blowfish song called, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but a lot of these songs aren't that hard to play. I remember listening to the song and the melody was just a, a simple motif or melodic idea that just got repeated over and over and over and over again. Right. So you learn this four note motif and there is a little guitar hook after the motif or after a verse. And that was it. And aside from that, then you just improvise to make it sound interesting, put your own thing in. And I talk about, you know, how to improvise and how to make these songs sound interesting. So for example, for this first dance, all we had to do 
throw the track on, play a little rhythm guitar, you know, for the track, play the melody, which is this simple motif that went over and over again. I just added a little variation to it every time I had to repeat it and play the little guitar hook at the end and play an improvised solo for the next verse back to a melody, play an improvised solo, you know, and, you know, that was basically the, the tune, you know, so there's five minutes of repertoire that was only a, a three note, three or four note melodic idea and a little guitar hook, you know, how simple is that? So it's not so out of reach. And that's what I want to show people. Um, I did it all the hard way. You know, I wanted to be a virtuoso. I went in all the competitions and as, as a soloist and stuff, and it was it was tough and nerve wracking and really hard and a lot of material, you know, 30, well, 40, 50 songs of instrumental solo pieces, classical and flamenco and some jazz and stuff that I had to stay on top of all the time. It's an unbelievable amount of work. And if people don't think that they need to pay a decent amount of money to these artists that are keeping that up, then. It's, it's too bad because people just don't realize the value of what they have when they have live music uh, at an event. But you don't have to do it the hard way. You can do it with tracks. And that's what the program's all about. That's what I get excited about now is now showing people, you know, an easier way to have fun and, and how to go about making some decent money doing it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like, I don't know about the listeners, but I'm definitely like, uh, in Australia, we have an expression called frothing it. So I'm definitely like uh, salivating at the idea of that course and participating in that. So I'm definitely going <laughs> to get in touch for that one there. Um, that sounds really, really cool. Now, I know we've got to wrap this one up in the next couple of minutes. So I did want to ask you a few questions about your teaching and having just this morning before the podcast checked out that course about playing guitar without a guitar. And realizing um, it, it's similar to something we talk about called leveling and layering, where I always say to students is they hear something on the radio and they try and play it as a beginner, not realizing that that's the product of uh, thousands of hours of hard work and a couple of years in the industry before it gets recorded and produces a product and, you know, the world's best producer puts his spin on it. And then you hear it. It's the same as, you know, uh, going to the gym and trying to lift a hundred kilos in your first session or competing in a sport as a beginner at a, you know, a national level kind of thing. But for whatever reason with music, there's this preconceived notion that we have to play it exactly as it sounds on the record. Otherwise we're no good. And we're just setting ourselves up for failure. So your system's very similar where we go back to whatever the lowest equivalent is and playing root notes and uh, power chords. So maybe tell me a little bit how you came across that method and, and how you go about teaching it to your students. Yeah, I mean, that's all it is. You're right. To play something note for note exactly like the artist is, is a huge job. But if you want to just play the song or play the song and sing it, you can go on to Ultimate Guitar. It's got all the chords there. If you can find the root notes to all the chords, like if it's C, C minor, C7, all you got to be responsible for is a C. All you got to do is get your finger on a C note. So the whole program uh, that how to play guitar without a guitar is showing you a real quick and easy way to learn the low sounding E string and the A string, you know, those two lower strings to be able to find those notes within seconds. So you can find it super fast. And then, you know, I have students tell me what their favorite, some of their favorite songs are. 
and we throw on the uh, YouTube video and I show them, you know, how you can go from chord to chord with that uh, song that you can print out from the ultimate guitar site or whatever those sites are, you know, to get the chords. And all you have to do is play roots along with the artist. You do have to train your ear just enough that you can tell when the music lifts or sinks, right? So you have a feel for when the next chord's going to happen, right? Or you learn to count, right? Count measures. So there's a, there's a little bit to it, but bottom line is all you have to do is play the roots and then you could turn it into a simple five chord because well, the five chords, I, I was um, told they're not really chords in, in college. I, <laughs> we're not supposed to call them chords, they're dyads, but I just call them chords. So these, these five chords are just like a two finger chord that you can, or dyad, that you can slide around to your different root notes, of course. And um, now the chord sounds a lot better. The song sounds a lot better. And you just keep building on those notes. Eventually they become bar chords that you can slide up and down the guitar. But just knowing those two strings and knowing that you can play and even sing a song with just playing a single note for all your chords or excuse me, a five chord for all your chords and then add all the other stuff later on as you get better. But it gets you playing anything you want almost right away. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be brilliant in order to pull it up. You just want to start playing. And that's something else too. When I started playing guitar and even when I was playing in bands, people would come up to me privately or whatever. And, you know, if I had my guitar in my hand and they want me to play something for them, you know, or play for a group. And I couldn't do it because I couldn't sing, even though I was playing, you know, in clubs and playing on stages and festivals, I was too afraid to play anything for him because I thought it would suck. Plus who really wants me to, who wants to hear me play, you know, the rhythm guitar part to a Van Halen song in a solo, you know, I think, you know, who cares because, you know, that's not really playing a song. So the other part of what I do with that course and my beginners course is I teach people uh, how to play the melody, but I water it down. I do that with my students, you know, my new students, they want to play a song. So what I'll do is I'll teach them how to play the melody as well as maybe just the roots only or five chords in order for them to play a song from start to finish and be able to play it for a friend, right? A simple melody, maybe just include the roots. So you don't have to be like I was years ago feeling well, I just I, I have nothing to play for anybody. I just can't do it. I'm too afraid. Haven't worked anything out. I want my students to be able to do that for other people. So that's a big part of my teaching. Yeah, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And I think one of the overlooked things there is if you're looking at some of those like 90s grunge bands, they only ever use those five chords, the power chord dyad. Like that's, if you can do that, you can do the whole Green Day repertoire or the whole Nirvana repertoire because that's literally all those guys use. So uh, again, I have students every now and then who will say, oh, but it's not really the song. You go, well, okay, if you're doing some six string like open chords, then yeah, we've still got to work towards that. But this is something you can use to play along to it straight away uh, and still get the enjoyment of playing straight away, which is really important for your beginning guitar students is giving them that sense of belief and that early victory. So they not only believe in you as a teacher, but them as themselves. But if you can make that distinction and say, hey, this is Smells Like Teen Spirit. This is uh, Gone Away by The Offspring. This is uh, American Idiot by Green Day. All these classic songs are just using these simple ideas. So yeah, if you can do this, you can kind of, you know, once the bar is raised to the point where you can do your power chords relatively smoothly uh, with a rhythm, then you can play a lot of that 90s repertoire there. 
Sure. And you can easily take it one step further, right? Like a song, like when I come around. Okay. So I think that's in G. So you play a couple of G five chords, G roots, and then you play the melody. I mean, that's it. Right. And it's just a variation of that throughout the rest of the tune. So why not play it as a solo guitar piece for someone, you know, play a couple of the, hit the chord, play the melody, hit the next chord, play the melody, you know? So I don't want them to feel like, okay, they just have to be the rhythm guitar player playing along with the uh, YouTube video. They could actually do the whole thing for someone, for an audience of uh, their family members or friends. So um, yeah, it's, it's all doable and you don't have to be, you know, a virtuoso guy to pull it off. Most definitely. And a lot of people, yeah, they, they, they're always trying to get better without realizing they already have the skills to do so much <laughs> straight off the bat or, you know, in a relatively short period of time, it's always chasing more or better or, or, you know, bigger muscles, whatever it happens to be uh, in terms of an analogy, but you can do so much with some simple ideas, but basically we have to get uh, towards the end of this one. Unfortunately, John, I feel like we could talk for another hour, but uh, my final question to you is if you've had one last little bit of advice or wisdom to impart to either the aspiring guitar players there or the guitar teachers listening in, what would that bit of advice be? Well, you know, if your if your dream is to play for someone as a performer, then you you definitely have to do it. Um, you know, it's it's the face your fear and and do it anyways kind of thing. Cause you know, that'll that can really stop you. Stop me from for years of doing solo work anyways. So yeah, the old, uh, having someone like your friend come over, sit across the table from you <laughs> and playing a piece, uh, you know, you just got to do those things and it, it does get a little easier as you go. And to some degree, it never goes away. Uh, I, I still get really nervous, especially when I have to play on radio. I don't know why TV isn't as big a deal, but when I got to play on radio, uh, it's just a little more intimate, I guess. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Go to a coffee shop, you know, play for coffee or whatever until you have the confidence to start charging for it and then do it. And also find a way that you can do it. Uh, Don't feel like uh, using tracks as karaoke or whatever. As a matter of fact, you'll probably use the tracks and over time you'll dump them because you become better at playing the melody, the chords and putting it all together that you wind up just doing it with your own way without uh, having to have the track in the background. Absolutely, absolutely amazing advice there, John. So I just want to say thank you so much on behalf of Top Music for joining us on the podcast today, for sharing such an amazing story and such great wisdom with all our listeners. And lastly, where can everybody find out more or connect with you online? Um, Well, the easiest way to do it is probably just to go to johngilliot.com. Uh, there you'll find my website. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. I think it's Facebook forward slash John Gilliatt. You can always message me or whatever, contact me through Facebook. And if you're interested in getting in the, the program, especially in the beginners uh, or in the beginning stages, as it's not completely 100% finished yet, anyone that joins sort of at this um, pre- preliminary <laughs> time uh you can get started for like seven bucks and then uh if you like it the subscription i think is 25 bucks a month so it's it's cheap and there's tons of material and stuff for you to to do um once you sign up i'll give you access to that new program because um uh 
I don't have it set up so everyone can get it, but I am giving it to everyone that signs up until it becomes completely finished. And then I'll figure out what I'm doing pricing wise. But if you start, if you join uh, early as a subscription, then uh, yeah, then you're in for as long as you have the subscription. So very good reason to get in early there with all those wonderful, uh, you know, early access bonuses and things like that. So uh, John, once again, thank you for coming on the Top Music Guitar Podcast. And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you in the next exciting episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast. (laughs) Thanks, John. Have a good one. Yeah, and one last thing I forgot to say was, uh, I I think I forgot to say the name of that uh, website. It's (laughs) yourguitarschool.com. Yeah, we are. I mentioned it. We don't want to miss that one, but we'll definitely link that from the top music page and plug that on our socials. So again, I've had an amazing conversation and we look forward to uh, hopefully getting you back in the future and discussing some more wonderful things. And until then, all the best. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. It was great talking with you. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.